Blog Talk Radio. A new study estimates that at least 4% of all defendants sentenced to death are innocent. The new report compiled by legal and statistical experts in Pennsylvania and Michigan used statistical techniques to peer behind the so-called dark figure that lies behind the death penalty. The number is described as deliberately conservative and concludes that if those wrongfully convicted had their sentences cleared, the exoneration rate would jump from 1.6% to over 4.1%. The author of the study, uh, Samuel Gross, says, quote, this is a disturbing finding. There are a large number of people who are sentenced to death, and despite our best efforts, some of them have undoubtedly been executed. So by the, by the logic adopted, um, around 340 prisoners would have been released over the 30-year period that was analyzed. They analyzed the period from 1974 to 2004, um, whereas in fact, only 138 were actually released. So it's a vast, a wide, wide differential there. This, uh, every so often the debate about the death penalty comes up and this should bring it to the surface again and be addressed because that's, that's a, a gaping, gaping gap in the statistics. 300 people put the death wrongly. Henry McCollum and Leon Brown are half-brothers and they've been in jail for 31 years. And the reason why they're in jail is because they uh, allegedly did the brutal crime of raping a a woman named Sabrina Bowie, and then they killed her by shoving her panties down her throat. So a brutal, grotesque, vicious crime, we all agree. And this week, so the publication this week points out, quote, McCollum and Brown, both of whom have IQs in the 50s and 60s, were convicted mainly on the basis of signed confessions. So the case is so high profile that Antonin Scalia, the Supreme Court Justice, actually referenced this case in an argument he made, I believe in the 90s, as to why he thinks the death penalty actually is constitutional. He basically says, well, look, some of these crimes are so vicious that the only just thing to do is to kill these people. So... Here is where the curveball to the story comes in. The signed confessions were coerced, and then, quote, they were cleared thanks to DNA testing of evidence. The North Carolina Innocence Inquiry Commission did find DNA evidence on a cigarette butt near the crime scene, but it belonged to a guy named Roscoe Artis, a convicted sexual predator who lived a block from where Bowie's body was found. So these guys spent 31 years in jail, and they didn't do it. Oh, is that rough, man. That's crazy. Now, thankfully, because of the DNA evidence, uh, they're being released, and in a twist of irony and vindication, really, Antonin Scalia's example in favor of the death penalty is actually an example against the death penalty.
Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight we continue the series, Voices from Behind the Wall, and tonight, Voices from Death Row, the Voices of the Innocent. We're going to deal with that tonight, and I'll tell you what, folks, this is a difficult subject because body bags are being filled in Americans' death row chambers. Many of them are innocent. We deal with that tonight. We take off right now. And I'm Lamar Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Samson Riddle, and the entire AJC radio team tonight. As we get ready, folks, voices from behind the wall, voices from death row. And uh, Samson, this aims to be a good one, uh, and I mean that in, in the sense of getting this message out that countless people are dying on death row uh, who are innocent, that, that we have reported uh, documentation these folks were innocent, but it doesn't mean, and what about the undocumented, the uncounted people that have gone to death row that we don't even know about who have died as a result of being wrongfully convicted? There are plenty of those as well. Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm glad we're following back up on this. I know we've done, I think, one show on this before at least uh, where they talked about if there was only 1% of the population uh, that was wrongfully accused. I mean, we're talking 20,000 people. And you, we've seen it time and time again, here, especially here in recent years where uh, these people on death row are being exonerated, sometimes posthumously. And, uh, yeah, you're right in the fact that in the terms of getting the message out there and uh, hopefully, you know, stimulating this, this community to, to act, to speak out, to, you know, it, this, this is the, one of the shows that's it's, it's going to start driving the point home. No, absolutely right. And we're going to deal with that uh, 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 during the course of this show, folks. Feel free to dial in to 646 200 0628 that's 646200 0628 and we're going to we're going to have an opportunity to discuss this and what is so troubling about this and this is my position on it when you have a system that proven if if i have one exoneration from somebody that we thought was guilty and they were on death row death row should not be in place because you have a flaw. That's one life, but it is precious. Life is precious. So if you're dealing with wrongful convictions, if you're dealing with uh, integrity of judges and prosecutors and questions and police officers that manufacture evidence against a defendant, uh, bottom line is, folks, these things happen. You cannot have – death is absolute. That's right. You can't undo – killing anybody so it's one thing if somebody is sitting in jail and that's horrific that's just as horrific because they're sitting behind bars when they shouldn't be but you can't unring that bell when you kill somebody so that's one of those things that why is that not taken into account with such a flawed system a criminal justice system that is falling off the rails at the level that it has what gives us the right to in Force the death penalty when you know if people are wrongfully convicted in prisons, they're wrongfully convicted on death row. 
and what are we doing about it? No, you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, one exoneration means that you somebody didn't do something beyond a, a reasonable doubt there, and that is like one of the bases of uh, this so-called criminal justice system. So if if, one, if there's one flaw, then there's there's flaws throughout. I mean, you, you, there there's nothing they can really do to to disprove that. So yeah, there there, there has to be something done. Uh, with this criminal justice system that uh, that's in place, and it's like right now, I mean, looking looking at the statistics, is like I, I can see why a lot of people feel like it's all just stacked against them. The deck is stacked against people, oh. and there. And as we talked about, you know, they just continue to pile body bags. They continue just to try and make money off of filling beds. But I mean, something's got to be done. The system's got to be done. And it's got to be rectified. Take it off the table. You know, take take the death penalty off the table because, like you said, you know, what does a what does a posthumous exoneration do for anybody? No, it's 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 something that I'll tell you what, folks. This is I mean, this is serious. Oh, I'm sorry, we made a mistake. He's dead. Right. That's not good enough. Now, what does that do for the family? The families. We talk about the suffering, the horror of families that are suffering as a result of wrongful convictions and people sitting behind bars. Take that in situation and multiply that by the millions times worse that you have executed a man a woman and we're going to tell you about a story of a 13 year old boy years ago uh, i believe before my time they had the stack on books 13 year old kid and they executed this kid and it's my understanding and I, i'm not sure we're going to check with research on this is my understanding they found out after the fact that the that the youngster was innocent that's ridiculous. You, unbelievable. And what kind of society do we have that you, I'm sorry, uh, young man, we got a we got a booster chair for you before we execute you. I mean, what kind of society are we living in where you, you, you like you, you, they're, they're having to stack books to try and execute this and a kid, 13 years old now, 13 years old, and they're just snuffing that light out before he even has a chance I, to. Look, you don't need a Supreme Court ruling to know you don't execute a kid. I don't need a, a vote. This is called human decency. That, that, I don't even know if you call it a barbaric society. To kill a 13-year-old, to kill anybody is wrong, but how do you stack books premeditatingly? And I don't know if that's a word, but how do you do that? How do you premeditate? You look, wait a minute. Get down, young man. Let's get the book stacked so we can make sure you're executed correctly at 13 years of age. And you wonder why this nation is in the condition that it's in. I'll tell you right now, that's why. And you can say what you want. Uh, nothing has changed. Innocent people are dying on death row. On the other side of the break, we're coming back. Voices from behind the wall. Voices tonight from death row. Some way, somehow, we have to stop the body bags. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experience some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and 
get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at one 855 529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young people. You can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice, and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Columbine. Virginia Tech. Tucson. Aurora. Fort Hood. Oak Creek. Newtown. 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 How many more? How many more? How many more colleges? How many more classrooms? How many more movie theaters? How many more houses of faith? How many more shopping malls? How many more street corners? How many more? How many more? Enough. 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 Demand a plan. Right now. As a mom. As a dad. As a friend. As a husband. As a wife. As an American. As an American. As an American. As a human being. For the children of Sandy Hook. Demand a plan. No more lists of names. It's not too soon. It's too late. Now is the time. Before we all know someone who loved someone on that list. No more lists. No more. Who they might have been. No more. If we had just done something yesterday. It's time. We can do better than this. We can do better than this. It's time. It's time. 
It's time for our leaders to act. Demand a plan right now. Right now. You demand it. Enough. 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 You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns, and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say the prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true, tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. Get in and talk about it. I've got to go home. Oh, come on, Carrie. You're going to a new place. She wants to go home, right? <laughs> go. Whoa. You okay to drive? Yeah, I'm fine. Sure. Relax. What's a few beers? If you don't stop your friend from drinking and driving, you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio uh, coming back to you live from Colorado Springs, Colorado, AJC Radio Studios. Tonight, dealing with the issue of voices from behind the wall and the voices of the, from death row, if you will, voices of the innocent on death row. Uh, this is a very serious topic, uh, Samson, as we get into this one. Um, as we alluded to earlier, a lot of people are dying as a result of the death penalty uh, we're going to be joined here shortly uh by a young man by the name of aaron bentley he's chair of the board of directors of the kentucky coalition to abolish the death penalty he's going to be joining us i'll let him introduce himself to that but it's very um much to his heart uh of some of the things he has gone through and we're going to get into why uh, abolishing the death penalty and i'll tell you right now because innocent people die on death row and that's what we're dealing with, voices of the innocent on death row. Something you should never have to say, but you, you are dealing with a flawed system. You can't have death row when you got people that are not walking in levels of integrity or honoring the oath they took to uphold the Constitution, to ensure justice. These are words that we believed in coming up that meant something. Uh, that has faded over the years from what we have seen and the actions taken. Uh, your thoughts on that, Samson? Oh, no, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like we, like we said before the break, I mean, if there's one person on death row that's exonerated, then you, have, then you have to question the system. You have to question not only, you know, uh, what's in place, but who's in place, you know? And there has to be voices to speak out against. I mean, I'm looking at something from our research team that said almost 1,500 people have been executed since 1976. Now, just think about it. How many of those were innocent? You know, if even a fraction of that percentage is innocent, I mean, if only 10 percent, we're talking 150 people that died needlessly. If only 10 percent were, were, were innocent, 
You know, that, that's, that's appalling when, you, when we talk about the collateral damage that's involved as far as like the friends, the families, the loved ones of these people. That, and we've heard stories of suicides from people just getting sent, you know, to jail let alone and being death in, row. De, exactly, let alone death row and being yep. executed. Yep, Cliff. And the, the basic, you know, flaw, if you want to call it that, with the death penalty is, you know, what good does it do? Killing one person is not bringing another person back. Sure. That I mean, that is the first basic, whatever you want to call it, of the death penalty is that it does not fix the situation. If you if you say okay, if you could say, well, I could take the life of this person and it would bring the other person back, then it's like okay, well, maybe that that might work, but. You're not bringing anybody back, and with the amount, like Samson mentioned earlier, with the amount of exonerations, record exonerations, in just the last five years, with the advent of uh, DNA technology, with uh, you know the the creation of stronger and better microscopes, being able to do um, you know chemical analysis, that the way that investigations are being done now, you look at the people that are on death row, and now, if they said, okay, well, everybody on death row, we're basically going to retry you with today's technology, then how many of those people would, would actually get off? But we can't, you can't even get, you know, the, the local DA's offices to say, hey, every DNA kit that we have on the shelves, get those tested and pull those people out of jail that, that those DNA kits apply to. You can't even have that done, but you want to keep the death penalty in place. It makes absolutely no sense to have it there. And it's America's like one of the last, I think, maybe three or five countries that has the death penalty in place. We are not a third world country, but we treat our citizens and those that are uh, are incarcerated like, hey, you know, this is a concentration camp. You're a prisoner of war. And if you happen to be innocent. Basically, the take on it is, well, too bad, so sad, like we dealt with last week. People get let out that you were innocent, wrongly in prison, and you get let out in the middle of the night and say, hey, pretty much find your way. This has to stop. It makes absolutely no sense to keep the death penalty in place. It is, it's useless, it's barbaric, and it's just plain stupid to have. Well, the bottom line is, is that, uh, again... If there is a chance that one person dies on death row that was innocent, it should not be in place. That's the bottom line. And I don't know how that's difficult to understand. You killed a person. I mean, maybe I don't understand the mindset of folks that feel like, well, no big deal, not a real issue, but people are dying. Your people, let me say that. People are dying who should never die, at least by the hand of execution, uh, who were innocent and did not commit a crime. George Jonas Stenney Jr. uh, was an African-American teenager wrongfully convicted at the age of 14 of the murder of two white girls in 1944 in his hometown of Alcula, South Carolina. He was executed in June of that year, still only 14. His appeal to the governor for clemency had been denied. He was one of the youngest people in the United States in the 20th century. 
to be sentenced to death and to be executed. His conviction was vacated in 2014 when a court ruled that he had not received a fair trial. My recollection of this story is that this young man was no taller than five feet. And they stacked him, they had to put him, have him sit on books so he would sit high enough in the chair to be killed. Seventy years later, you come back and say, oops, I made a mistake. Oops, I got it wrong. When a 14-year-old boy is, in a, is executed, and we have to ask ourselves the question, is the death penalty something that should be in place? The voice of George Stenney speaks tonight from death row. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sitting here like reading part of that story as well. And it says, I mean, the kid barely weighed 100 pounds. Straps wouldn't even stay on his wrist. And to the point of where, I mean, when they finally went to execute him, they said the, ma- the mask that they put on him back then, it was so big on him that it fell off. I mean, we're talking about a 14-year-old kid. It's, a, it's in the story, that in the article, it took him 10 minutes, 10 minutes to kill this young man and 70 years for the same system to come back around and admit they did something wrong. Cliff made a great point. They, there should not be a DNA testing lab in this country right now that isn't running 24 by 7, 365 to examine these kids. We have the technology. We have the people. People want jobs. Get out there. Learn how to test some DNA, folks, because there's a lot of people out there behind the walls, I guarantee, that are wrongfully convicted. There are people that it may not even be on death row that are wrongfully convicted, and they're just sitting behind the walls, a part of a system that's using them for nothing but modern-day slave trade and making money off of filling beds. No, you're absolutely right on that, uh, Samson. And this, this, this is the outrage, and this is why... What, again, you go, what has this society come to that you just strap people in and kill them? It, it, it makes no sense to me. And not even do it take, you can't say I'm sorry when you kill a person who's innocent. You can't fix it. You cannot undo that. And for that to be a situation where and that, again, that was in 1944, but the number of people, that the, the, the stats you just read, Samson, all of those people executed. Mm-hmm. If we look now at our criminal justice system today, it's constant, wrongful convictions. Should have met 30 years in prison, 40 years in prison, 25 years in prison. Mm-hmm. Those numbers, the problem is, I would have to believe that the numbers are equally alarming as the people that have died on death row because they were convicted of a crime, they fall under that number. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you can't find – that, and that's the whole thing with the system like we keep talking about. You can't find one flaw in a system but say the rest of the system isn't flawed. You know, if all these people are getting wrongfully convicted, wrongfully imprisoned, wrongfully put on death row, wrongfully executed. Like there has got to be a fundamental change from the foundation up. In this system, I mean, it, there, there's no other way that it's going to get correct, corrected. Take the death penalty off the table completely. Okay, again, utilize what we have. Stop letting these people make underhanded, 
you know, deals or whatever, get these judges, get these prosecutors, hold them to the same level of, of accountability as they try and hold every other U.S. citizen to, hold them to the same laws, hold their feet to the fire, if it will, you know, and make it to where they have to do, they actually get due process, not some rush job like this young man got 10 minutes. Don't get some rush job, then go off and kill somebody. It's un, it's, it's un, uh, it's unbelievable. I'm gonna play a clip right now, dealing with just that. Let's see what the clip is. I was sitting this March eighth, nineteen ninety, and my death day was July second, nineteen ninety. I thought this was all a nightmare that it went in. But it wasn't a nightmare. At the age of 17, Sabrina Butler was sentenced to death after Dre convicted her of killing her own baby boy. Sabrina grew up poor in rural Columbus, Mississippi. My childhood was not great. I didn't have what normal children time to play, um, Christmas toys, things like that. We were mostly uh, shuffled from one place to another. In 1989, um, I had my son, Walter Dean. He was a good baby. He never cried. He never fussed unless he wanted a bottle or wanted to be changed. The day that would change Sabrina's life forever started as an ordinary one. I put him to sleep and went jogging. I jogged to the end of the street, and when I got back to the house, I went in the apartment and went to the kitchen to get a bottle. And... When I went in the room, he wasn't breathing. So I, didn't, I panicked. I didn't know, you know what I should do, so I just grabbed him. That's the first thing I thought to do in room. Sabrina asked a neighbor to rush her and nine-month-old Walter Dean to the hospital. On the way there, she said she gave CPR to her son, desperately attempting to revive him. I was screaming when I ran into the emergency room, and they grabbed him from me and carried him to the back. And um, I had to stay in the waiting room, and I was waiting and waiting. And... Um, they came back out, and they told me that they tried everything they could. Within 24 hours, Sabrina lost her son and was now being questioned by the police about his death. Before she knew it, she was charged with murder and behind bars. Her trial lasted one week. She was convicted and sentenced to death row. The first day I went to prison, they had me shackled from my ankle, around my waist, and my wrist. I was just scared. I was shaking. They carried me in this room and they took off all my, made me take off all my clothes. And then after you do that, you had to put on this jumpsuit. They just put me in a cell. And then they came back a few minutes later and took the orange jumpsuit and gave me the red. They let you know, everybody in prison know that you're on death row. I sat on death row two years and nine months in a Cell no bigger than your bathroom for 23 hours a day. Two new attorneys entered Sabrina's life and began digging deeper into what they believed were major discrepancies in her case. Her case was appealed to the Mississippi Supreme Court. I got the call from my attorney that my case had been overturned in the Supreme Court, and I was happy. I was so happy that I wouldn't go back in my cell. I'm thinking that we're fixing to go back right back to trial. And they're going to bring out all the proofs and all the evidence that should have been brought out in the first trial. But that didn't happen like that. So, off death row, but still not free.
My second trial was in 1995. Um, it also lasted five days. The biggest bombshell came from the medical examiner, who said that a rare kidney condition might have led to her nine-month-old son's death. So now, Sabrina stood before a new jury, and it took them less than an hour to reach a verdict. And when they said not guilty, I just lost my balance. Well, there you have it. A tragedy. Two years, nine months on death row is the story. Sabrina Butler simply went went down the street, came back, son, son not breathing. You cannot imagine the mental anguish of changing out of an orange jumpsuit into red, never being in the system. And going to death row and to spend that amount of time thinking in your own mind and heart, I am going to die. That within itself is cruel and unusual punishment, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, literally all she did was try and save her son's life and get him help. And she's just thrown through the ringer and, you know, railroaded fast track, whatever you want to call it, from you know, concerned parent to death row inmate. And the crazy part, Samson and to our listeners, Cliff Lisa, is you can sit on trial for a case for two to three years. How do I get rushed to death row? I don't understand that. And with that in mind, we're gonna we're gonna we're honored tonight to have Aaron Bentley, chair of the board of directors of the Kentucky Coalition to abolish the death penalty. And I'll tell you what, uh, I'm very impressed with this, with this gentleman. He's going to give some perspective to this conversation. And uh, we want to welcome you, Aaron, to the show. Are you with us? Hello. How are you guys? We're doing good, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Okay, Aaron, and I don't know how much of the show you've heard thus far uh, dealing with uh, – the death row, the, excuse me, the death penalty situation. Our series, Voices from Behind the Wall, the Voices from Death Row, uh, is something we thought was necessary. That those that have have passed on, if you will, uh, and I don't mean that lightly. Uh, in my opinion, killed uh, innocent folks killed on death row by a system uh, that has failed. And I'm going to let you introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us a little bit about what you do about the uh, Kentucky Coalition to abolish the death penalty and what, how you're involved and what drove, brought you to this point to, to make a difference on this, on this topic. Go ahead, please. Yeah, so like you said, I serve as the, the chair of the board of directors of the Kentucky Coalition to abolish the death penalty. Uh, I've only been in that role for a few months, but I've been on the board for uh, several years now and been focused on uh, the death penalty issue for most of my life, to be honest. Um, I was driven there, I don't know, when I was young, I, I learned about the case of Mumia Abu-Jamal, who uh, was formerly on death row in Pennsylvania uh, for allegedly killing a police officer. Uh, ultimately, he uh, received uh, commutation to a life sentence uh, and got off death row. But that case grabbed me as a young kid. Honestly, I was probably 13 or 14, 
and mm-hmm. uh, I was digging through the trial transcripts, and it it just was obvious even to me as a young kid that uh, this man wasn't treated fairly, and uh, even more than that, that even if he had been treated fairly and he had been convicted fairly, uh, that as a society we shouldn't be killing people. Uh, so I went to law school, became a lawyer, uh, started working on uh, on cases, and ultimately now when I'm not working on trying to abolish the death penalty, I work on prisoners' rights issues and trying to uh, protect the civil rights of people who are incarcerated in jails and prisons here in Kentucky. Oh, that's awesome. And, and, and Aaron, does your work extend outside of Kentucky? It does not. I, I work only in Kentucky. That's the only place I'm licensed to practice law. Okay. Okay. And, uh, but I think your, your, your vision, if you will, your perspective, uh, your fight, your passion, and what you're doing needs to be uh, adopted by other states and other attorneys that have that passion, that have to say, look, we have a problem here. As we alluded to earlier, uh, we made it clear. If you had a, a flawless system, and again, I still wouldn't agree with the death penalty, uh, but it's hypothetically those that argue for it. If you had a system where you didn't have uh, prosecutors pushing cases through, pushing convictions through without due diligence and due process, uh, they may be able to make an argument there. Again, I don't agree with that argument, but the bottom line is, as I said earlier, if you have the number of people that are wrongfully convicted in this country every single day and that are sitting in prison, it's not, it doesn't take long to turn on the news and say somebody's been exonerated from 30 years in prison. They didn't do the crime. Well, the people that have died, those are wrongful convictions, some of them. Do we have an account for all of them? No. But if you know wrongful convictions happen, then you know death row killings of innocent people happen. That should be enough to abolish it. Your thoughts on that, Aaron? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, One of the cases that I think about a lot uh, was a man in Texas named Cameron Todd Willingham, who was executed uh, by the state of Texas. Uh, Essentially, the crime was that his his house caught on fire, uh, his uh, small children died inside the house, and he was uh, tried, convicted of murder. Uh, and, of course, years later, it was proven pretty conclusively that the science that prosecutors used against him was fatally flawed and that he never should have been convicted. Uh, and yet the state of Texas, Governor, then-Governor Rick Perry, refused to uh, open the case back up and ultimately murdered him uh, with the death penalty. And so, you know, that's, there are a lot of people that we think probably were innocent uh, or, you know, at least there are a lot of questions about their convictions. Uh, But Cameron Todd Willingham is one that's almost certain that that was an innocent man who, uh, who a state killed. And, and Aaron, here's what's so puzzling and confusing to me. Governor Perry What's the harm in taking another look for you kill somebody? I don't understand where the struggle is that, wait a minute, and, and, and there was some, we, we ended up getting some information from other death row folks who were last words of those that were on death row. And one of the guys said, I, please check the DNA. I didn't do it. 
just check the DNA. You're going to find I didn't do it. They executed that man anyway. And I don't understand how I don't understand how a judge, a prosecutor, when a motion is filed with the court for a DNA test with the technology that we have now that can prove the innocence of a man. That is in the interest of justice is what the oath is about. And if we simply say the judge says, no, we're not going to grant that. There's a reason there are steps in place where a governor can stay in execution. That's not just there. That's there because there is a possibility somebody got it wrong. But I think as a society and in our criminal justice, we have become so ego-driven that we don't make mistakes. We have a God complex. Well, this is just the way it is, and that's, we're not going to talk about it. But what do you say to that mother who sent her son die? That sister, that brother, that grandmother, what do we say to them? When we when we recklessly take lives like that. Well, I mean, honestly, Lamont, I mean, there's not really a whole lot you can say to somebody like that, especially when they come back afterwards and they find out they're exonerated. I mean, what, there, there's not really a whole lot. We've said on this show so many times, there's so little value placed on human life these days, especially for anybody that's ever been behind bars, ever been behind the wall, ever had to wear any color jumpsuit, you know, and given a number, like there's so little value once you're behind the wall. And it, it's it's crazy. Prosecutors want to keep their prosecution rate up. Judges don't want to put in the effort. And like you said, there is a God complex that people think that they're so far into the law. They've been in it so long. They don't make mistakes. But the fact of the matter is this country was built on checks and balances throughout the entirety of it. And they're, and they're just not being used. So something has to be done to fundamentally change it. No, absolutely right. And Aaron... Looking at your information here, um, you're doing some good things with what you're doing, and I salute you. I applaud you and your work that you're doing uh, because to me, uh, and it says, it says here, Aaron, if you want to speak to this, that's fine. I, I, want, to, I want to at least bring it up to you. Uh, it says as a member, of, as, a, as a murder victim's family member uh, that you uh, emphasize with all people affected by, you empathize rather with all people affected by the death penalty. Uh, can you, did you want to talk about that? I know you said the other situation kind of put you in motion. That seems a little close to home to me, very close to home. Yeah, I, I'd be happy to talk about it. Uh, well, I've really had two experiences close to me. Uh, one is that when I was uh, a, a young man, uh, my grandfather was murdered. Um, that, you know, at the time, you might have one thought because, you know, you're a young person and you don't really know how to process these things. Uh, looking back, you know, it's easy now to see that we were not going to feel better about uh, my grandfather, his death, because someone else was murdered, because some other family lost a person. And, you know, I, I experienced the same thing a few years later when a close family friend of ours uh, was murdered and her husband was actually prosecuted for her murder, and I watched her family uh, beg the prosecutors not to seek the death penalty against him. Her family didn't want the death penalty. Uh, they came from a religious perspective. They just didn't think that was uh, morally the right thing to do, and that had a huge impact on me and my life uh, and my, my values uh, because it reinforced that belief in me that no matter what happens to us, to people we love, 
Uh, we have to stick by our principles and know that uh, what is right is what is right. No, absolutely. Uh, and, and Aaron, th- and that's that's the key. What you just said. Uh, and I believe it was the was it North Carolina where the church was shot up by the gentleman, um, the the uh, guy that came in with the at the the AME church. I guess that they went in and killed. Yeah, that was uh, North Carolina. North Carolina, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the members who had suffered loss that day, and I'm, I'm speaking to this Aaron because of what you just said about our principles, and they said, "We forgive you." You know, we invited you into our church to welcome you in and, and to tell you God's word was, was their words. And they, they didn't want to seek uh, or go after the death penalty for this young man. They, wanted, they asked for mercy for this man. And so I understand what you're saying, because at the end of the day, what does, and it, it doesn't take away the horrific act this, this man did. Make no mistake about it. But when you say to me, the young lady... Did you say her husband was murdered? Aaron? She was murdered by her husband. So the lady was the lady was murdered. And so the family did not want to seek, if I'm hearing you correctly, did not want to seek the death penalty for this guy. That's right. That's exactly right. That's 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 a big deal. And my thing is, why can't we as a country take a less, a page out of that book? Why can't we do that? But then when we talk tonight. Uh, Aaron about the innocent we don't even we don't even hear compassion from the people that get it wrong you said governor I've never heard uh, governor Perry come out and say hey I did I didn't do that right I regret making that decision I'm trying to figure out why not why not that's our problem nobody wants to take responsibility or accountability uh, for these things and, and, and Aaron, I'll tell you what, how's your response down there with, with the things? And I'm sure you're in battles about this. Uh, with, and it says here that you actually uh, have the opportunity uh, in working uh, with legislators and, and, and people uh, who are in positions of authority that can make things happen. How, is, how are they receiving you with, this, with, with your uh, argument, if you will, to, and your passion and the reasoning behind abolishing the death penalty? What, what response are you getting? Well, it's been interesting. Uh, We have been for years trying to get the uh, Kentucky legislature to pass a bill abolishing a death penalty, and we've started to get more interest in it from legislators as the Kentucky legislature becomes more heavily Republican, interestingly enough. The evangelical population here, at least, has started to uh, take the position that they can't be against abortion and also for the death penalty. So we've been able to have conversations with them, not just about, you know, morally what's going on here, but also about the fact that we are using the death penalty to, uh, in a way that starves resources that our state could be using for health care, for housing, for food, uh, for public safety, all the types of things that we need uh, here in Kentucky. So we're starting to get a better response. Um, We're hopeful that within the next uh, several years, it's something that we'll be able to pass and put on the governor's desk and uh, try to get rid of the death penalty here. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, I'll tell you what, right now, uh, what I'm going to do is play a clip. Um, I want you to hear this. I want to get your thoughts on this. 
we say a lot of time that the, that the folks on death row are pleading. I, I, I don't understand. And I may sound like a broken record. How do you just kill somebody? When they're asking you to please get a DNA test. And how does a judge or a prosecutor go to sleep and say, nah, we're not going to do it. It hurts nothing to do it. Versus the young man we talked about, 14 years old, Mr. Stinton, 14, back in 1944, executed. Five feet tall. It's a kid. Executed this young man, this young boy. Stacked him up on reading books so he could position himself correctly in the execution chair. And we look up and say, we don't have a problem. We have a problem. I'm going to play the clip, uh, Aaron. Uh, excuse me. I'm going to play the clip, uh, Aaron, and we're going to get, get your thoughts on that momentarily. Let's play it. And we wanted to try to explain to our audience in Britain where they don't have death row what it's like for people like you who are in this situation. Gregory Rousseau says he wants the world to know who he really is. Someone said to me, you have a right to get out there and tell people, show people who you are. And everybody behind me said, do it, bruh. That's what they call it. They call you bear? Bruh, big bruh. So I signed yes. Are you in a cell by yourself? Yeah, single cell, a table, top shelf. Um, very small for a man my size anyway, so it's very small. Weakens the mind, makes you vulnerable if you allow it. But my hope is I'm fighting for freedom. And until I'm strapped to the gurney or they open the doors and I'm going to keep fighting, that's my hope. Now, I don't hope to spend the rest of my life locked up. I'm not hoping for a state to continue interacting in this environment. That's not what I'm asking working on. But most people do, so they just want to live. And I mean, I wish us all to live, but this is not a place for him to be. So you're not wanting your death penalty to be converted to no. life imprisonment. That would be... No, ma'am. That would be worse? To me. I'm innocent of this charge. Gregory Rousseau was tried and convicted 13 years ago for the killing of 75-year-old James Syvertson in his hometown of Tyler, Texas. The victim was brutally attacked his head beaten in with a blunt object. We asked the Syvertson family for an interview, but they declined. Here's what Mr. Syvertson's daughter said at the time of Rousseau's conviction. I mean, there's always a payday for what you do, and I think he got what, you know, was coming to him, and we're satisfied um, with the verdict. The daughter of the man who was killed said that you were getting what you deserved. Do you deserve to be killed? No, ma'am, because, you know, in this situation, people, victims' family, never get never get closure because they don't understand what closure is. They really feel like that they stand in this courtroom and they listen to the state put on evidence that they consider to be truth because they're looking for justice. The predatory nature of his attack on Mr. Sievka shows you was the, there was a thrill in that for him. And I think that just shows what a monster he really is. The district attorney called you a monster. You paint the picture, he's a dog, he's an animal. Like my mama had this this disease and delivered this disease to this world. 
That's not justice. Oh, there you have it. Tragic. Aaron, your thoughts on that? Well, a few, a few things, a few things there stuck out to me. One, you know, I heard that uh, Mr. Rousseau talk in a way that I've heard many guys on death row talk, uh, which is this idea that they don't want their sentences converted to life without parole; that they would rather be executed than uh, than live the rest of their natural life in prison. And when you hear that, you really have to think about how heartbreaking that is. That someone would rather die, even if they're innocent, would rather die than live in uh, in solitude and in confinement. Uh, it's mm. it just breaks my heart. Uh, but at the same time, we have to tell people uh, that as a society, we can't kill people. You know, there's a difference between actions of the individual and actions of the state. So when people talk about, well, you know, this person killed someone, so they deserve to be killed. No, we don't have to act the way that we think the worst people among us act. We don't have to be that way. Uh, we don't have to copy what they do. We can, we can act in a better way. So uh, I thought those things were interesting from that clip, and I thought it was interesting, you know, hearing someone from a different country who, yeah, where they don't have the death penalty and doesn't understand, you know, uh, why we would treat our citizens the way that we do. Uh, that's always uh, interesting to hear. Yeah, and that speaks volumes. As she said, uh, we don't have the death penalty. And Aaron, I agree with you. That's heartbreaking. It tells you not only on death row to be incarcerated to be living in a bathroom for the rest of your life with no chance of... He, and he, when he made the statement, that is not living. This is not life. You, you're not living. And, and I, I, man, Aaron, I, I echo what you say. That is tragic. But it tells you the condition of the criminal justice system in this country, whether on death row or whether put in a hole isolated in a cage is just not the right thing to do. Aaron, we're going to take a quick break. You got a few more minutes to spend with us? Absolutely. Okay, we're going to be right back on the side of the break. Ladies and gentlemen of America, if that doesn't make your heart wrench, if you will, I don't know what it's going to take to touch the conscience and the heart of a society the man, he said, I'd rather die. He said, I didn't commit this crime. We're going to hear some stories of the last words of those who were to be executed and what they said in cases where execution came first. No justice came later, even though justice found that these folks were innocent. This is AJC Radio, Voices from Behind the Wall. We're on it tonight with our very special guest, Aaron Bentley, giving a clear perspective of the death penalty and the cost to a nation. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? 
The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Picture this, a 75-year-old man convicted of murder waiting for his trial to finally go through. He's been on death row for 25 years now and finds out he's been wrongfully convicted and is completely innocent. Not only does this mean that 25 years of his life have been spent in jail for no reason, but that the actual murderer could still be out there right now. The bad thing is that this exact thing happens more often than you think, but you can help stop it by supporting our campaign to abolish the death penalty. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do bald chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life. of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fear justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. tragedies have to stop. There must be accountability. Black, white, brown. We are one. We are one. One. We will not stick to sports. 
We will not shut up and dribble. This is bigger than basketball. Change can be uncomfortable. Change is necessary. We need to talk. We need to act. We matter. We must unite. Say his name. Stephon Clark. Stephon Clark. We must unite. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. The last words from those on death row before execution. Kerry writes, tell my sister Tracy, I love you. Nicole, thank you, and I love you. Wanda and all of my friends, I love you, and thank you for your support. To the state of Texas, I am an innocent man. Never trust a court-appointed attorney. I am ready, Warden. Thank you, Brad. I'm sorry. Check the DNA. Check. Scott, here we go. Lord Jesus, Jesus. The last words of Terry on death row before execution. Pleading, and I have no doubt that it was something that was asked of the state of Texas. Check the DNA. The outcome, another innocent man dies. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Sampson Riddle, the AJC radio team tonight. And we are honored and really, really honored to have our very special guest, Aaron Bentley, chair of the board of directors of the Kentucky Coalition to abolish the death penalty. And the last words of Kerry alone gives justification for the fight that Aaron is fighting there in Kentucky. Aaron, thanks for coming back with us. We appreciate your time this evening. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. And Aaron, when you hear that, we're going to get into some more of that here momentarily. That's heart-wrenching to me. Uh, I, I, I just I, I don't understand why more cannot be done. And I, let, me, let me change that. Not cannot be done, simply is chosen not to be. Uh, to spare the lives of people. Um, your thoughts on, on, on that? I think there's been a theme running through everything that uh, I've heard everyone say on the show tonight, which is that we simply choose to, to not believe in the humanity of certain types of people in this country, whether it's uh, poor people, people of color, uh, people who have any sort of 
criminal background. We simply just choose to view them as less than human. And so we don't have to uh, – we don't have to struggle with what are we doing to these people? What are we doing to Carrie Rice? What are we doing to Cameron Todd Willingham? Because we don't view them as people, as a society. And uh, that's what makes it easy for us to, to just kill them uh, with, with no remorse. Absolutely. And Charles goes on to write, I want you all to know I did not do this crime. I wanted to wait for a 30-day stay for a DNA test so you know who did the crime. He asked for 30 days more. And he said, I'm waiting 30 days so I can, the DNA test will come back and show that's not the words of a, of a guilty man. That's not someone who's guilty. And common sense, common humanity tells you what's the harm. And that's the question I ask. To the judge, to the court, whoever he requested that 30-day stay for, from, can you somebody justify to me what is the harm of one month to run a DNA test? No, I think you're absolutely right, Lamont, in the fact that, I mean, if they're willing to put somebody behind bars for that many years, you know, sometimes decades, but they're not willing to wait another month to possibly exonerate an innocent man— it's absolutely ridiculous, and the fact is, like we heard in the uh, the clip uh, before the break, like just the constant dehumanizing of people. I mean, the the prosecutor talking about how this guy, the the person that did it, seemed to enjoy it. You know, the the lady talking about oh, he gets he's getting what he deserved. But if you listen to that man, you can listen to the tone of his voice. You don't have to even see his face. Like that that's not yeah. somebody that could that could commit that kind of crime. No. And there's again, there's countless countless more out there i mean you know we're, we're talking about you know the, the criminal justice system estimating or people are doing research estimating between two and ten percent of the population out there is wrongfully convicted yeah that's Come on. that's troubling aaron tell us a little bit i know you talked a little bit about the civil rights i gotta believe and and, and i don't know if you've heard and I, I would i would ask that you go back perhaps and listen to some of the some of the shows that we've done in the past, what, two months, I believe, Samson, uh, of, if not longer, uh, voices from behind the wall, the abuse. And when I hear, heard you talk tonight, and, and, and Aaron, you can sincerely no talking to you. In the few moments I've talked to you tonight and you've added to this show, uh, the sincere passion to really help people, uh, I would, I would uh, give you a recommendation to go and listen to some of the programs on voices from behind the wall abuse behind the wall people that are dying people that are being murdered by the hands of correctional officers those that are being held without food and water we had a situation where one guy was he begged for water ended up dying in his cell because nobody would give him any water to drink uh and when i th- when and I, I mentioned that to you because when you talk about civil rights and this is my question i'll pivot from that I would have to believe that what you've seen within the death penalty and that coalition that you are part of, um, you had to know that there was had to be other abuses happening. Tell me, is, am, am I correct in that assessment? If so, tell me how these two worlds come together. Because if I kill a man who's innocent, I've, I've ultimately violated his civil rights. 
but then what it, what is being done and what rights are being violated leading up to that uh, in, our, in the criminal justice system today, if that makes sense to you. Sure, it does. When you're talking about people who are incarcerated, uh, it doesn't matter where you are in the prison, whether you're on death row, uh, whether you're in general population, whether you're in a county jail. Uh, there are people in charge who will uh, abuse their power to violate your rights. So again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that people in prison just aren't viewed as human. Uh, you know, it, it, some the people on death row, at least here in Kentucky, have to live in uh, one small cell by themselves. They are inside their cell 22 hours a day. They, they get to go outside an hour or two a week. And it's not just the people on death row. You know, there are uh, lots of people who are in solitary confinement uh, who aren't on death row who you know, get even less time out of their cell than, than that. So uh, the biggest, the most egregious civil rights abuses that we see inside jails and prisons uh, often consist of, yeah, well, solitary confinement is one of the biggest ones, uh, but also just the, the way that people with mental illness are treated, uh, not provided proper mental health care. They use solitary confinement as uh, a way to, you know, throw away people who are mentally ill. Uh, we see uh, prisoners who are sexually assaulted by staff members, who are physically assaulted by staff members, uh, and just aren't protected uh, when they have to give up their freedom, their ability to protect themselves uh, inside these prisons, and the people who are supposed to protect them uh, often do the opposite. Well, Aaron, I, I really do, uh, and I say this with, with all sincerity, uh, salute what you're doing. And whatever brought you to this point to be a voice for the voiceless and to fight for the rights of others and, again, to abolish an egregious act uh, of taking lives and people dying on death row. And when I listened to Ms. Butler earlier on that clip, the woman was shattered from that. Two and a half years she sat on death row not knowing, or in her mind, believing I'll be dead in two and a half years. I'm going to die soon. Uh on top of that, I think the tragedy of that is she lost her son. She buried, and I don't even know if she buried him. They came and arrested her. She walks in the house. Her son is unresponsive. You immediately take her to the county jail, charge her with murder, Put her in a red jumpsuit that said death row. This is all at the time that she found her little boy dead. This is the injustice that we're talking about. So the rush to judgment without facts. Why is there no penalty? And why is there no accountability for such action? Is, is, is the most troubling of all. The man you talked about, Aaron, earlier, who house caught on fire. House That's right. That happens. Yeah. There's a, there's a case here, Aaron, in Colorado, a young lady, three kids killed in a fire. The science that came back on it said, the forensic expert testified incorrectly, said he made a mistake. 
but she was given three life sentences for three lives that were lost. She never grieved her kids. Her and her husband both are in prison in Colorado, who we as an organization have been trying to find a way. We have been in touch with some of the forensics people back and forth email trying to get answers of what happened here. Three life sentences, never committed a crime. And could have very well, depending on what state you're in, could have been given the death penalty because of a fire, which happens all over this country. Accidental fires just happen. Yep. Uh, but we're so quick to rush to judgment on that. And uh, listen to this very carefully. Gary Graham, Texas. There's Texas again. Convicted in 1981, was executed in the year 2000. On June 23, 2000, Gary Graham was executed in Texas despite claims that he was innocent. Graham was 17 when he was charged with the 1981 robbery and shooting of Bobby Lambert outside a Houston supermarket. He was convicted primarily on the testimony of one witness, uh, Bernadine Skillern, who said she saw the killer's face for a few seconds through her car windshield. From a distance of 30 to 40 feet away, two other witnesses, both who worked at the grocery store and said they got a good look at the assailant, said Graham was not the killer, but were never interviewed by Graham's court-appointed attorney, Ronald Mock, and were not called to testify at trial. Three of the jurors who voted to convict Graham signed affidavits saying they would have voted differently had all the evidence been available. Aaron, your thoughts on that one? Well, it's interesting you bring that up. That was the first case that I remember following uh, closely as as the execution was pending. Uh, That was right before the 2000 election. George W. Bush was running for president and was the governor of Texas at the time. And so it it seeped into the national news. And I remember... um, praying, wishing, hoping that something would happen to uh, keep Gary Graham, who uh, at the end of his life went by Shaka Sankofa, uh, that something that would keep him from uh, being executed. And uh, that's one that will stick with me for the rest of my days, uh, watching TV and, and finding out that uh, that he was dead at the hands of uh, the state. That's unbelievable to me. I mean, Samson, your thoughts? When you, I am so outraged right now, but I'm my heart is broken how do you do that how do you take two witnesses who could show evidence that this man was not there they said we saw him we worked at the supermarket we were there how do you ignore that how does a president how does an attorney honor the oath that he took well that's just it they don't lamont i mean we, we we talk about it you know a lot of times about these the different reasons why people get wrongfully convicted and prosecutorial misconduct is like it's way up there on the list. They just they don't do their job that there's somebody behind the scenes because we know, again, that this criminal justice system, like the integrity factor is not there. So you have this court appointed attorney that's going to do whatever the court tells he or him or her to do. And. Not calling witnesses. I'm talking about you have one person that says, "Oh yeah, they did it," but you have two more that says, "No, they didn't." 
but you fail to get them on the witness stand. You fail to present their statements as evidence. Like you're failing your job left and right as this man's defense attorney and and ultimately cost him his life, but you're not going to be held accountable. You're not going to be held to any standard. Like that that's the problem. Like it's the I understand the outrage because like this is so reaching into so many different parts of our system. It's like, where do you begin to root this stuff out? Where do you begin to start digging out the corruption, the, the different fallacies that are going on, the payoffs, the, everything that's so corrupt in our system? Where do we start? Yep. Where do we start digging it out by the root? No, absolutely right. Uh, Aaron, we're going to play one more clip, and I'm going to be respectful of your time. You've been great with us tonight. And I definitely want to have an opportunity to talk more about what you're doing. Uh, we'd like to, uh, to let the, so the country know, our listeners know across this nation, uh, the, the work that you're doing. We're going to talk about that. Uh, how do people get involved with the organization? How do they jump on board to be a part of this fight, uh, of this war, if you will, uh, to, to bring justice uh, to those that have been done so wrong by the system. I'm going to play this clip. I want to get your thoughts. And I, again, I'm going to get your uh, information how we can be involved with your organization. Let's play the clip. Gloria, it's fantastic to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on. Your, your story is, just mesmerizes us at CNN. And I just wanted to ask you, that day you were first arrested, what was going through your mind knowing that you were innocent? I've heard there's a million different words to describe it, and there isn't a single word that actually describes what you think. Surrealistic is the most common term that you hear. For a moment, I actually thought I had lost my hearing, but he couldn't possibly have said what he said to me, which is that you're under arrest. And your mind just begins to rocket around in your brain, and you start thinking, this can't possibly be happening. There's nothing happening here that makes any sense. Because I've been talking to them for quite a while. I certainly hadn't said anything incriminating. Just all of a sudden, he stood up and said, you're under arrest for murder, and you're going to go to the gas chamber. Hmm. Now, Joyce Ride appeared in your life almost like an angel, it seems. How much did she change your case, but also just your outlook on this whole case, you know, for what was just a devastating period in your life? My outlook on my it's difficult to explain my outlook on my case, but one of the reasons that I'm here and that I, continue, that I do the work that I do is because people do not realize how common this is. There are mm. thousands of people in the United States that are locked up for crimes that they did not commit, and people don't realize that. I definitely want to be sure that this does not happen to anyone else. They do not have to go through what I went. And also, we have to reform our judicial system. We can't keep doing this to people. We can't keep destroying lives and then just continuing on as if it made no difference at all. Hmm. That's where the importance of DNA evidence has been, particularly for taking people off death row. I wonder if you could describe the day, that day you learned that you were going to finally be freed after all, all these years that were, that were stolen from you. I had actually known for a couple of days, but the institution, did, they wanted to keep it... Um, rather quiet because they didn't want a big crowd of reporters or anything else. And in the meantime, one of my very close friends died early that morning. Mm -hmm. So I was an emotional wreck anyhow. And I was racing back and forth between my job, the telephone, 
and everything else. I couldn't get a hold of people. It was crazy. And then all of a sudden, an officer said something to me that made it very clear that I was going to get out of the five o'clock count. Uh, the word flashed around the institution, and I do mean flashed. Everybody knew. And at five o'clock, when count cleared, my entire housing unit stayed to walk me to the gate. I walked across the yard to see my friend, and they all just followed me all the way to the gate. It was probably the most amazing experience that I've ever had in my life, and I really wish people could have seen it. Well, there you have it. Another tragedy in that situation. Released from death row. But what damage is already done? You can't get it back. You can't get the time back. You can't get the anguish. How many people are in our institutions across this nation tonight that feel like hope is gone and may make an attempt to take their life. See, this is the risk you take. For those that survived and was released from death row, many things could have happened before that. They could have taken their own life because they saw no way out. Aaron, when you hear that, and again, these are the steps. It's not only the death row. What? How many people have died that killed themselves sitting on death row because they knew there was no justice coming, even though they maintained their innocence. That's another people that have died that we didn't even talk about tonight. Aaron, your thoughts on that? Yeah, of course we see a terrible amount of people who feel they have no other choice when they're uh, locked up in prison for long periods of time. And yet we also see another thing we haven't talked about is the people who are released, who are exonerated, and they have a miserable time uh, getting back into society because they've been locked in solitary confinement for so long. Uh, some of those folks end up dying by suicide. Many of them die of uh, bad uh, health situations because they were so poorly taken care of while they were incarcerated. The, the damage that is done to people who are in prison, uh, even when they are exonerated and released, it lasts for the rest of their life. It lasts forever. It, it can't be measured, and it can't be uh, it can't be repaired. Well, Aaron, let me let me say, and we're, again, we're going to be respectful of your time. You have given huge insight uh, to this topic, and I want you to know you always have a platform. If you're out here doing what you're doing, you need a voice uh, and a platform to let what you're doing be heard. Uh, please know you always have a welcome invitation here. Always an open invitation. Uh, for AJC Radio, a Just Cause organization, to be a part, and we will carry your message with you. Uh, you just give me a phone call, and we'll make it happen. And uh, how can folks get a hold of you if they want to get involved with what you're doing, support what you're doing, uh, and get down in the trenches and get the, get on get on with this fight? How do they How do they do it? Well, first, I want to thank uh, you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate getting to talk about this issue. It, as you mentioned earlier, it's terribly close uh, to my heart something I spend not just my work time on, but most of my free time on uh, is uh, issues related to people who are incarcerated. So I, I really appreciate getting to talk about it. And I appreciate your all's passion 
the work that you're doing. Uh, thank you so much for sharing the, the stories of people uh, who are locked up. Uh, if you want to uh, follow what we're doing in Kentucky, you can, of course, follow us uh, on Twitter at KCADP or uh, on Facebook.com slash KCADPKY. If you go to KCADP.org, uh, you can sign up uh, to be on our email list so we can tell you about actions that we're taking uh, and get you involved. You can, of course, uh, donate if you want to help our uh, efforts to abolish the death penalty here in Kentucky. Uh, and I just I encourage everyone that if you're listening and it's something that uh, strikes you and it's something you want to get involved in, there are organizations close to you that uh, are doing this work that you can get involved in. If you aren't sure how to find one, you can find me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Bentley. Ask me, and I will point you in the right direction uh, if you need any help finding somewhere to uh, spend your time and effort. So uh, I guess those are all the places I hope everyone will go check out uh, if you're interested in this issue. And uh, just want to thank you again so much for um, having me on and talking about this issue. And Aaron, thank you so much. It's been our honor, our privilege to have you. Uh, we're honored to have you, and we appreciate you. Try to enjoy the rest of your evening. Get some rest. I know you're working hard out there as a soldier for justice, and uh, we, we appreciate that so very much. And, and, again, enjoy the rest of your evening. All right. Thanks. You too. All right. Take care. There you have it, folks. Aaron Bentley, chair, chairman of the board of directors, the Kentucky Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty, uh, doing some things out here that's making a difference and an impact uh, whether he knows it or not, uh, it's trickling along out of Kentucky. Uh, and I, I would I would definitely recommend to get a hold of him. Get involved. We talk a lot on the couch. Uh, we got to get up off the couch and get something done. This is Agency Radio. On the other side of the break, we're coming back. Voices from behind the wall. More last words from the innocent on death row. This is Agency Radio. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. 
There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. I don't have to tell you about the challenges we face every day. That would be like preaching to the choir. Today you have a chance to face the challenge of your risk for diabetes. My dad had diabetes and one in four U.S. adults are at risk myself included. If you're older than 45 or African-American, that risk increases. So here's a chance to ask yourself, what can I do? Talk to your doctor about getting screened and know what your options are. Learn more at AskScreenKnow.com. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Sparks. I'm Chase Crawford. Hey, what's up? It's Usher. Hi, I'm Rachel Dolphin. I'm Hayden Christensen. I'm Peyton Manning. Hey, we're Fall Out Boy. I'm Dude Archuleta. I'm Corbin Blue. I'm Kristen Bell. And we're the Jonas Brothers. Do something good for your community. Reuse bags and bottles and always recycle. Help us collect a million pounds of food. Help people prepare for natural disasters. Do something about homelessness. Anyone could be a rock star in their community. So then do something. Do something. Do something. Do something. Visit dosomething.org to find out how. Ladies and gentlemen of America, tonight has been a difficult night as we have been really pulled from a place we thought we believed to be reality. Uh, But in reality, we've learned that the lives being taken on death row, the voices of the innocent, voices from behind the wall, is not a storybook saga. Not a script out of Hollywood. It's not a Hollywood production. It is real life, real lives that are being lost. And if you want to get completely candid about it, we're talking about brutal killings of the innocent. 
in this nation. It is tragic. It is heart-wrenching. We are very, very glad, and again, I I can't say enough, our very special thanks to our uh, honored guest, Aaron Bentley, chair of the board of directors of the Kentucky Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty. Samson, when we get into this discussion uh, and what all that Aaron brought to the table tonight, which he brought much, uh, his perspective, and again, uh, seems to be a strong man of faith uh, as a result of what he has suffered uh, he said that situation uh, that he shared that was close to home yeah. changed his life, put his faith in perspective, and has driven him to say, you have to stick and stand on what you believe. I don't know of a greater honor uh, to bestow upon Mr. Bentley other than a great deal of respect no, absolutely. for that position. Absolutely. I mean, just just to hear his stance, and I mean, he just seems like undaunted by, you know, what the state of Kentucky has to say about it. He's he's not wavering one bit on his stance, regardless of how close to home that hit with him. Um, you know, because a lot of people that would have somebody close to them killed like that would be on the opposite side of the fence. Like, no, 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 you killed my, my family member or someone close to me. Yeah. You deserve to be strapped in. You deserve the needle. You deserve whatever. But no, he's like, no, there there is no reason there is no justifiable reason to take a human life especially you know when there may be evidence or even a petition is put up there to say hey look i'm innocent you know i've got this and this and this somebody needs to look into it you know he he's he's out there fighting each and every day he even said even in his uh his spare time he's still pushing forward for this cause that he believes uh, so much in that, you know, that we can hopefully one day, whether it be a reform of the entire criminal justice system or whatever it takes, get it to where we we, we eliminate the the cry of innocent voices yeah. that are in execution chambers. Oh, absolutely right. And uh, this comes from Roy from Death Row, uh, and I would say be uh, from the grave, if you will, executed. And he states this on his last words. He said, I charge the people of the jury, trial judge, the prosecutor that cheated to get this conviction. I charge each and every one of you with the murder of an innocent man, all the way to the CCA, federal court, Fifth Circuit, and Supreme Court. You will answer to your maker when God has found out that you executed an innocent man. May God have mercy on you, my love to my son, my daughter, Nancy, Kathy, Randy, and my future grandchildren. I ask for forgiveness for all of the poison that I brought into the U.S., the country I love. Please forgive me for my sins. If my murder makes it easier for everyone else, let the forgiveness please be a part of the healing. And he says, he writes later, go ahead, warden, and Jesus, take me home. I think we've come to a point in our society that we believe because a person has been guilty of other issues. We feel justified to say, well, we're not going to give them the due process. So if I stole a Snicker or a candy bar from 7-Eleven yesterday, that doesn't mean that I killed someone today. Because I had issues in my past that may have been questionable. 
for some of these folks on death row. Doesn't make them killers. And he says here, I maintain you are killing an innocent man of that which brought me to death row. So make no mistake about it. We feel like, well, he's a criminal anyway. He probably did do it. I wonder how much of that goes into the due process of not checking DNA. Well, he has a rap sheet a, a mile long. He probably did it. Well, probably is not good enough when you kill a man probably. for a crime he did not commit. Probably is not beyond a reasonable doubt. I mean, in the death penalty, it check, listen, you better be absolutely sure that you have the man that committed the crime that brought him to death row. There is no percentages of, well, maybe kind of, I'm 99%. DNA is in place to eliminate doubt. DNA is absolute. Well, if you're going to take a man's life, that's absolute. Give him the courtesy of absolute due diligence and due process. I don't think that's a lot to ask. It's definitely not, especially, I mean, when we look at, you know, uh, again, like Cliff said earlier, the technology that's out there, the laws that have been passed. I mean, we're talking about some states are still using laws that are antiquated to say the very least. You know, I mean, laws have been passed that require, you know, defendants to be able to see the evidence in the prosecutor's file. There's been laws passed that, you know, as far, regarding people with intellectual disabilities. I mean, we, and we've gone over all of these scenarios in this series that we've done, you know, about abuse, about people on death row, people being wrongly convicted, wrongly executed, exonerated after, after the state has already killed them. I mean, yeah. hear, hearing all these words about how people crying out for their innocence or crying out for DNA tests and stuff like that, I mean, it's just... It, how far are we as a nation going to let these people push the envelope when it comes to killing our brothers and sisters, our fellow citizens? Because that's what they're doing. They are murdering people out there just because they've been given a number and an orange or red jumpsuit. That's what they're doing. Well, a former judge speaks out about ending the death penalty, and he's right in line with our guest, Aaron Bentley. Let's play the clip. One day, I finally did sit down with myself, and I said, there is no way, no way I could ever support another execution. Uh, Starting out as a correctional officer in 1978 at Dade Correctional Institution down in Dade County near Florida City, um, I was a strong supporter of the death penalty was out of sight, out of mind. It was something that I always felt was the right thing to do. And then my first execution came along. And uh, getting up close to an execution means that uh, some 30 days or so before you kill someone, you get to know this person very well. You start to learn from these people that they regret what they did. Uh, They'd like to back up and do it all over again if they could. You hear a lot of interesting things from people who are condemned to die. And then finally on that final day, you walk into a cell early in the morning, uh, minutes before the execution, you sit down on the bunk next to the condemned and you tell this person uh, uh, 
uh, time has come. And it's amazing how they sort of help you along at that point. They seem to start gathering a little courage and, uh, and telling you things like, don't worry, it's okay. It's okay, I can handle it. Anyone who gets up close to an execution, physically touches the person they're getting ready to kill, speaks to them, communicates with them, shares their most intimate thoughts in those last few minutes of their life, and then takes them into this dirty little room and kills them. If they can honestly say that that person doesn't come back to visit them from time to time, they're not human. Powerful. Something happened to that judge. You couldn't say it any clearer than what he just said. And he speaks out about ending it. And he says, and maybe some people need to take a trip to death row. Maybe some people who are so bent, Governor Mr. Perry out of Texas, I don't know what his title is now. I believe he's in the administration. Shame on you. Shame on you, Governor. People just act like that life simply does not matter. If a judge can be compelled to say what that judge just said and to be moved to the point to change, and he said it clear. If you can do that and not say that person, you don't see that person when you lay your head down at night. And I like what the judge said. He didn't sugarcoat anything. Mm -mm. He said when you go take someone to kill them, there's no proper word for that. You're killing a man, a woman. That's heart-wrenching right there. Now I'll tell you this. America needs to wake up. Look, I can tell you this right now. What you're hearing from a lot of these folks on death row, <coughs> excuse me, they are telling them, look out, God is coming. That's their words. What are they saying in those moments that give them the impression that you're going to answer? He must be held accountable for killing another human being. Um, that's serious stuff right there. No, you're absolutely right, Lamont. I mean, he, he, he hit the nail on the head in so many different aspects. I mean, when he talks about, you know, how it's out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people. And, yeah, these people that are saying, you know, uh, that, that God's going to hold these, these – uh, these judges, these prosecutors, the Supreme Court, all these people, I mean, they're going to have to answer for, you know, what they've done sooner or later. And based on your faith or whatever, you know, like me, I'm definitely a man of faith. And he's saying, you know, these people are going to have to answer to God one day for why. Why did they take someone else's life? Why did they, you know, put someone in a chair, in a, in a chamber that they knew was innocent? And, and let that happen where they just why they just sat back silently and did nothing but again the whole out of sight out of mind 
concept is because people have never had to face the reality of what death is. Well, absolutely. And, and those are those things. Cliff? Yeah, I mean, you listening to to this man's story, uh, I mean, he he came to the realization uh, going through that that, you know, either either way, it is just wrong to take another person's life. And when he says, you know, I'm you're you're going, you're taking this person in another room to kill them. And like you say, Lamont, I mean, there's no other way to put it. You 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 cannot soften that. I'm taking someone in here to kill them. I'm taking a life. This man is realizing that, hey, it is it's just wrong. It is our innate internal, you know, whatever you want to call it, an internal thermostat, thermometer, uh, you know, check and balance that it's wrong to take another life in whatever circumstance. You have to say, hey, it's it that has to be left up to God. That what this man's judgment, as far as uh, you know, the the criminal justice system is one thing, but to take another person's life, uh, like I said before, it doesn't fix anything. It, it's the same way if you take revenge on somebody. Revenge is not going to, uh, you know, quench the 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 pain, quench the anguish. It's not going to bring back that that loved one that you lost. And you can say that, you know, well, it's a way to punish this person. No, it, 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 that it's not helping anything. If you give this if you give a person, even someone who kills someone else, if you give them the opportunity to, um, you know, to basically be, uh, you know, reformed to say maybe they can become some good part of society. But when you kill them, you don't have that opportunity. You're not you're not showing how the criminal justice system can work, and you're definitely not bringing back the the person that the family lost. Oh, it, it's just at the end of the day, it's a zero sum game. Absolutely right. Uh, to both of your points, um, and I think people know this. Liddell Lee was executed on April 20th. Time on death row was 21 years. Lee, 51, became the first Arkansas prisoner to be executed in the state in a decade when he was put to death in April. He had been convicted of murdering and sexually assaulting 26-year-old Deborah Reese in her home in 1993. She was struck 36 times with a tire thumper that her truck driver husband had given her as a way to protect herself while he was away on the road. Lee maintained that he was innocent until his execution. Complicating Lee's case, Lee was given a lawyer who admitted to being drunk during court proceedings. Eventually, she was removed and Lee was given new counsel. Lee's lawyers also asked for new DNA testing of a hair found at the scene and a drop of blood on his shoe. But that was denied. The microscopic hair analysis method that was used by investigators to incriminate Lee was formally discredited by the FBI and the Department of Justice in 2015, which admitted it could not distinguish specific hairs from others. The FBI and DOJ had agreed to the review of the criminal cases after three men were exonerated after convictions in which FBI examinations uh, were scientifically, showed that they were scientifically flawed. Can somebody help me with that one? 
<laughs> Why don't somebody explain to me with that much information? Why would it be denied? Again, the the there is no logic, there is no reasoning to that type of insanity. That if you can run a test to clear a man, what is the problem? Because it is not about the interests of justice. It is not about finding justice, doing the right thing. While you execute this man, the killer goes and kills more. You've done nothing but totally damage and discredit the system of justice. You've done nothing to solve or to help a community. You've done nothing here. So what are you going to do? You have the FBI says this is discredited. Department of Justice says what they've done was it's scientifically unreliable. But you kill a man anyway who maintained his innocence till the day that he died. We're going to play a clip right now about a family who cries out about the cruelty of the death penalty. Let's hear it. The family of a man executed for the rape and murder of a pregnant Preble County woman plans to file a federal lawsuit seeking an injunction on the death penalty. Dennis McGuire's family claims his execution violated his Eighth Amendment right prohibiting cruel and unusual punishment. McGuire was put to death yesterday using two drugs that had never before been used in execution. His death took longer than past executions, and about five minutes after the drugs were administered, McGuire's body convulsed in an apparent attempt to breathe. The question is whether or not the state of Ohio should duplicate the actions of a criminal. And our answer is no. I saw him laying on the table, just gasping for his air. His head kept coming up, and he just, his mouth was wide open, and he's making all kinds of horrible noises. The family met at their lawyer's office today and plans to file the suit in federal court in the next few days. Known as the Houdini of death row, Thomas Arthur escaped execution seven times before being put to death on May for a 1982 murder for hire. Arthur claimed he never committed the crime, and his lawyers unsuccessfully argued that he would be exonerated by DNA testing that Alabama refused to undertake. Arthur, 75, was convicted of murder after prosecutors argued he entered Troy Wicker's home disguised as a black man and shot him dead in the eye with a pistol. At the time, Arthur was having an affair with Wicker's wife, who claimed she had paid him $10,000 to murder her husband. She changed her story to authorities and had originally told investigators she had been raped by a black man. Arthur had requested the death penalty at the end of his trial, telling jurors it would buy his legal team extra time to prove his innocence. His lawyers insisted their client would be proven innocent by DNA testing of hair samples found at the scene. But Governor Kay Ivey denied the request, saying that the jury 
had already found him guilty with the evidence they were provided. After his execution, his daughter called for mandatory testing of DNA evidence from capital punishment cases across the country. But Alabama has started moving in the opposite direction and voted this year to approve a bill that would shorten appeals process for inmates on death row. That's absolute insanity. Like, I, I, I laugh, but it's like, how can we even call this a justice system? I mean, how can we, how can we do that? I mean, you're short, you're shortening the time to help them try and prove their own innocence. You're not testing DNA, wrongfully convicting people, letting murderers go free. I mean, like, how are you not perpetuating this system and cycle of violence that we have? How are we not? Looking for a logical solution, like you said, logical solution. Let's do it logically. Here's the problem. Why would you try to? Why would you try to seek legislation to shorten the time that inmates could fight for their innocence, but fight shorten the time in which DNA tests would be allowed in that window? Let's pass a law that shortens that. So we don't have to provide a DNA confirmation. Can some Cliff? I'm just sitting here trying to come up. What reason would you say we want legislation that if you're on death row, uh, we get to we get to basically execute you faster? And the only thing that I can come up with is so that an inmate cannot fight and if that inmate is found to be incarcerated wrongfully and come back and sue the state that they would be owed some monetary damages when you look at it you say okay so this must be coming down to a dollar bill because there's nothing else that makes any sense we're going to shorten the amount of time that you can fight for your for your freedom when you're on death row so instead of us having to pay for incarcerating you, we'd rather go ahead and kill you so you can't come back and fight us. That is what that legislation is about, that and we, would, we would rather kill this person than allow them to fight the state, and we have to end up cutting them a check at the end of the day. That's, there is no other explanation. That is... We may have to do a part two on this one. We'll see. This is sick. But let, hold on. Let, let me make sure I say this. We have the best system in the world. That's hogwash. That's utter nonsense. And for the person that makes the statement, we have the best system after hearing this show tonight, take a trip to death row. And hear the screams and the, 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 the cries of the innocent behind the wall. This is AJC Radio Voices from Behind the Wall continues on Thursday. Good night, America. Uh, I believe in the process. At yesterday's clemency hearing, the seven-member panel voted unanimously that Gregory Russo's sentence will be carried out tomorrow. And are you thinking about what that moment will be? Are you imagining it? Are you trying not to think about it? What are you doing with that? I have 
witnessed a lot of people over the course I've been here. Don't cut this building. Never see them again. And I pray that they have peace. So during my praying for them, I was praying for myself because I'm already in line. So when that day comes, I'm at peace today. So I have no problem laying down on that ground to accept whatever state tries to do to me. But it's not going to change the fact that they're strapping an innocent man to a bunk and inserting drugs in him just to get their satisfaction. Thank you. 